Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Tonight, I want to I'm going to take a little time with this because it requires it. Uh, I want to talk to you about deliverance, and uh, to do that, I want to just lay out some background. Then either I'll finish it on Sunday. Uh, as we talk about some things, or we may come back on another Wednesday uh, to finish up uh, really some steps to it. But tonight, I want to just simply uh, lay out for you some uh, understanding of deliverance, not only what the Bible says, but historically what the church has understood about deliverance. Because honestly, when it comes to the whole subject of deliverance, uh, 95% of churches don't want anything to do with it, and the 5% who do, uh, are kind of not sure whether they're in or out. And so um, I'm really grateful uh, for Randy Clark's book, which is The Biblical Guide to Deliverance. It's the best book I've ever read on deliverance. It's very thorough, and I think it will really help you to understand some things relative to deliverance. So let's just start here with a definition of deliverance. Deliverance, when we're talking about deliverance, we're talking about using the authority of Jesus to deliver people from demonic activity in their lives. We're not just talking about severe demonic activity, we're talking about demonic activity. So it could include the severe, but it could include all, all kinds of demonic activity. The gospel is full of this. And it was a, a, certainly a very big part of Jesus' ministry. Just to summarize a few verses, Mark 3 and verse 14, he appointed 12, designating them apostles that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. In Matthew chapter 10, he gives this instruction, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. So this is a, this is is not something that's fringe, it's something that's central to the gospel, that we understand that uh, a portion, not all the problems, uh, but a portion of the problems that people encounter have behind them demonic activity. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, in preaching at Cornelius' house, talking about Jesus' ministry, says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We've talked about this before, but Luke, who is the author of the Gospel of Luke, and Luke was not one of the disciples. Luke was uh, a Greek or a Greek-speaking person, a doctor who met Paul and wrote a history of Jesus and a history of the early church, Luke and the book of Acts. But Luke sees sickness as primarily from the devil, and we've talked about that. Satan and his demons can directly cause physical sickness. You see that as far back as the book of Job, and many scholars estimate that 25% of the recorded healings in Mark's gospel involved demons. People were healed when demonic activity was dealt with. 
And we could look at different ones and have uh, people who could not talk, people who could not hear. Jesus rebuked the demon, and they were able to hear and to speak. But demons don't just cause physical illness. They can cause mental illness. They can cause behavioral disorders. They can cause self-harm. They can cause depression. They can cause addictive behaviors. They can cause anxiety. So they can do a variety of things. Let me be clear. I'm not saying every sickness is demonically inspired or induced. And I'm not saying every mental illness or, or psychotic issue is demonically inspired. Some are, some aren't. Jesus' ministry, though, was to destroy the works of the devil. And I think we have to recapture that if we're going to have a full gospel understanding of ministering to people. And I believe God is moving us forward and teaching us some things so that we can be agents of the gospel and of victory and freedom in Jesus' name, not only in the church, but in the society in which we live, which is increasingly becoming demonized. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. It's interesting, Jesus calls deliverance the children's bread. In Mark chapter 7, the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And by dogs, he means somebody who's outside of the covenant that Israel had. You're, you're a pagan. You're, you're, you're not, uh, it's not that he's not able, it's that she's not eligible. But in talking to her about that, he calls deliverance. Deliverance from a demon is the children's bread. It's a very interesting thing. It is something that is for the children. I'm talking about children. Literally, I'm talking about the people of God. And if you read on in the story, she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And he said, for that answer, your daughter has been healed. And she was. The demon was gone immediately. Jesus never wrestled never struggled with demonic powers. He had authority. He used simple commands, and the demons obeyed. And here's the good news. As believers standing in victory, we have that same authority. So Jesus has commissioned us to go into all the world and tell the good news, and he's promised that when we do, signs and wonders will follow, and one of those signs and wonders will be people will drive out demons. Mark chapter 16, verse 17, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, they will drive out demons. So again, deliverance is not a fringe Christian activity. According to Jesus, delivering people from demonization was a key part of his ministry and is a key part of any believer's ministry. The early church understood the importance of deliverance. In the early church, deliverance was a part of the rite of baptism. 
evidence is found uh, of this in the apostolic constitutions that date back to 375 AD. The early church understood that healing included deliverance. Not every healing requires deliverance, but some healing will not happen without it. Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, wrote a defense in the second century to the Roman emperor. It was a defense of Christianity. This is what he writes. Look at it. For numberless demoniacs throughout the whole world and in your city, many of our Christian men exercising them in the name of Jesus Christ have healed and do heal, rendering helpless and driving the possessing devils out of the men. A number of early church fathers wrote about exorcism, driving out devils. They include Hermes, Tertullian, Origen, Irenaeus, to name a few. And the reason why it was a part of the early church is you had so many people who were coming out of paganism where they had made vows and covenants with false deities, which are in fact demons, and the result would be that they would need to be delivered from that demonic activity in their life, and that was performed both before and after water baptism. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the, the one who led the Reformation, who started the Lutheran Church, hails from his influence included exorcism in the baptismal rites of the early Lutheran church. Here's what he said. The officiant shall blow three times under the child's eyes and shall say, depart thou unclean spirit. In 1856, exorcism was relegated to a footnote in the Lutheran baptismal rite and abandoned altogether in 1916. But even today, the Lutheran church has the renunciation of the devil and all of his works as a part of their baptismal rite. But still, Luther recognized the need for deliverance and understood that it often led to healing. He wrote this, often it has happened and still does that devils have been driven out in the name of Christ. Also by calling on his name in prayer, the sick have been healed. If you're from an Anglican background, uh, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer uh, describes holy baptism and it includes the rite of exorcism. You say, well, when did the church move away from deliverance? Essentially, it happened through the teachings of a monk by the name and a scholar by the name of Thomas Aquinas uh, and really spread from 1200 to about 1575 as he combined Christian thought with um, uh, more of a rational approach to life based on Aristotle's principles, and the result was a rational approach to Christianity. The Reformation and the Reformers picked up on that thinking and failed to understand that power flows out of relationship, not doctrine, and they embraced a theology that began at that point to oppose healing and deliverance. So that's kind of a history on deliverance. The problem for most people is simply this, that most people get their view of exorcism from Hollywood. So they know more about exorcism from watching a movie like the Amityville Horror or The Exorcist or The Rite or The Conjuring or seeing excerpts of it. But let me just suggest to you that 
those are not accurate descriptions of exorcism. And that much of deliverance is much less, um, I won't say dramatic because how can it not be dramatic when somebody's set free from the power of the devil? But it is, it is much more a part of a person's life. Let me give you an example. So one of our campus pastors, um, their daughter was having night terrors. And this is very unusual, um, but she would be screaming in the middle of the night. As he and his wife thought about it, talked with some of their friends, they decided, you know what, this is not natural. And here's the premise by which I live. I don't look for a demon under every bush, but if something's not natural, it is supernatural. So they decided, you know what, there's demonic activity here. So he grabbed his daughter, went in her bedroom, and said, I command the evil spirit that has been attacking my daughter, I command you to never look at her again. Look at me. I'm the authority of this house. I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. And based on his authority, I command you to leave and never return. In Jesus' name. She's never had another night terror. This is the kind of authority Jesus has given believers. This is the kind of authority you and I are to exercise, both in our homes and our personal life, and on behalf of people that we meet who are oppressed or tormented by the devil. In severe cases of deliverance, let me say this. The demon is not in charge. In those cases, the demon should not be allowed to engage in continual conversation because honestly, they have nothing honest to say. As well, all they want to do is humiliate the person, and if we care about the person, we command the demon to stop the acts of humiliation. So we had a staff member recently working with an individual, and she said, I feel like I'm going to vomit. The staff member said, in the name of Jesus, you will not vomit. And then began, and all of a sudden, there was a composure that came over the lady, and they were able to talk with her and to deliver her of the demonic activity. Having somebody roll around, having all of that is simply not necessary. Now, you may not agree with that. You may be from a, but as I read the scripture, Jesus was very clear. He commanded the demons. And I think as you read Randy's book, who he has worked extensively with that, we, we care for the people that we're ministering to who are severely demonized, and we care for their dignity. And there's nothing to be gained in the deliverance by watching a demon humiliate somebody. So this is something I think we have to give thought to as well. Let me say this, when it comes to people who have demonic uh, beings at work in their life, typically what happens is we use, we use uh, language or terminology that is not biblical, and to me that's, that's problematic. 
So we have people, we put them in categories. We say, well, they're afflicted or they're oppressed or they're possessed. But the Bible doesn't ever use those words. You may have a translation that uses that word, but the Greek does not use that word. The Bible may describe somebody's situation like the, the Canaanite woman that we read about, her daughter being demonized in Mark 7, or the Gadarene demoniac. And in those cases, it says they had an unclean spirit, but it, it says they had it. It doesn't use, they were possessed by it, though in both cases, it was quite a severe case. The common biblical word is daimonizomai, demonized. And a person who is demonized could be slightly demonized, could be moderately demonized, could be severely demonized. Now, some may balk at this, but a Christian can have demonic activity in their life. If you pastor very long, you will have no doubt about that. You say, well, wait a minute. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, how could you have a demon present? Well, that really, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't. And that's really the problem, isn't it? I mean, I'm just saying, if somebody's full overflowing with the Holy Spirit, there's not going to be any room for that. But if they're not, and most people swing from episode to episode rather than be being kept filled. Furthermore, let me just say this, and I think this is really where the rubber meets the road for this group and for most Christians. Christians can open their life to demonic activity. I mean, if Ephesians chapter 4, and I think this is very instructive for us, in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. If something that is as common as anger can give the devil a foothold, then how much more do other things that people tolerate or engage in in their life? Give the devil a foothold. In fact, just from my experience, I'm going to say there's three things that open people up to demonic activity in their life, primarily. Now, I'm not saying this is, and I'm going to say outside of the occult, which I surely would hope we'd all understand. If you're messing around with tarot cards, if you're messing around with seances, if you're messing around with palm readers, fortune tellers, horoscopes, all of those things, you are just saying, Satan, come on in. But there are three areas outside of that that I think open people's lives up to demonic activity to a, to a moderate degree and potentially a severe degree. Number one is bitterness. It's very interesting. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, man, if anybody's been forgiven, we forgive because we are, we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. One of the things the devil wants to do is he wants to cause people to become bitter and that, that begins to build a stronghold in their heart that he inhabits, that he directs. Second, I would say substance abuse. Anytime a person is, and, and this is an argument against marijuana, this is an argument against alcohol, this is an argument against whatever it is that that would be a substance that moves you into a state of 
altered consciousness. Your conscience is given to you by God as a gate to determine what you let in and what you keep out. When you remove that gate through drunkenness, and honestly, listen, Ephesians, I don't have time to give you all this, the scripture on the screen, but Ephesians chapter 5 says, be not drunk with wine where is an excess. What, it, what he's talking about, Paul is saying, he's talking about the will of God, and in paganism, they would use alcohol to get into a drunken state because at that moment, they could commune with the gods, and Paul's saying, listen, that's not the way you discover God's will. Be filled with the Spirit. So a, th a third one would be sexual sin. When a person sins sexually, at that point, they are they are allowing the enemy to come in, and they are literally, in Paul's words, sinning against themselves. Here's the dangerous thing about tolerating any kind of sin, though. Sin starts out as an act of the flesh, but when it's repeated over and over again, it is, at that point, empowered by the demonic. And when that happens... You have sin that is demonically exacerbated in a person's life. Now, sometimes sin is a generational activity. It is something that is passed down through generations. Some people say, well, you know, I don't believe in generational sin or curses. They'll, they'll, they'll go to Galatians and say, Jesus set us free from the curse. And while that's true, Jesus also set us free from sin when he died on the cross. But that is only accessed when we ask him for it. I would suggest the same with curses. You can access the freedom, but if you don't access it by going to him and asking him to remove those things in your life, then those things have opportunity to operate in your life, oftentimes without you ever knowing it. Dr. Vincent Sinan, who has passed away, but was one of the great Pentecostal scholars of the last generation, and served as the dean of the School of Divinity at Regent University, believed that deliverance was often a part of God's sanctifying work. So what are we talking about? You get saved, and then after you're saved, he begins to work. The Holy Spirit is working on you as we cooperate with him to make us more like Jesus, and that process of becoming more like Christ is called theologically sanctification. Sinan believed that Deliverance was many times a part of sanctification. It's a part, sometimes people have to be delivered of things in order to become more like Jesus because there's demonic activity in their life, either that has come to them by way of, of generational uh, issues or their own behavior. It can come a variety of ways, but, but it has to be dealt with. Here are some signs that a person may be demonized. Number one, isolation, particularly from family. Now, again, when we're talking demonized, we're not talking possessed. We're just talking demonic activity. So you have somebody who don't want to be with family, and they're isolated all the time. That's not good. And often it gives a foothold to the devil. Number two, out-of-control behavior. We would understand that. Self-harm, such as cutting. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to say every single one of these 
is definitively a sign of, of demonic activity, but I'm going to say generally it is. Humiliating acts, mental illness. Again, I'm not saying every mental illness. People can be sick, just like the epileptic in Matthew 17 and in Mark chapter 9. It was caused by a demon. That doesn't mean every epileptic is caused by demonic power. I'm just simply suggesting to you, sometimes illness is caused by demonic activity. Sometimes it's caused just because of physiology. Are you with me on that? Six, number six, physical illness, especially repeated or chronic generational illness. So like your mom had it, your dad had it, you say, well, that's, come on, John, that's genetic. Well, where do you think that came from? You say, you think demons can, they can make you sick. I mean, come on. There are some illnesses that the root of it is demonic. And so we have to, when we're praying for people, we have to ask the Lord, Lord, what's going on here? And, and or how should I pray? It's really it's as simple as that. So I've, I've used this story so many times. You're, you're, if you haven't heard it before, it'll be new to you. The rest of you will indulge me. Um, a couple comes to me. He's got narcolepsy. They're concerned. He's going to lose his job. Hard to keep a job. It's really messing with their life. Um, they're like, will you pray for us? As soon as, you know, it's, it's the prayer meeting. It's toward the end. Um, I say, sure. And so I just bow my head and I, I'm just asking the Lord, Lord, how, to, how do you want me to pray for this? And immediately the Lord speaks to my heart. This is caused by an evil spirit. Rebuke the spirit. Which I don't know them. It's dark. You're like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, you're like, they're going to think he thinks we're demonized. And I don't even know if it's our first night, their 10th night. I don't know. But then I think, well, you know what? Would you rather go home free or would you rather have a polite prayer that does nothing? Which do you want? So, I mean, I'm, this is happening in milliseconds in my mind. So I'm like, okay, we're going we're gonna to do the deal here. And so I just rebuke the spirit and command that spirit to leave that man alone and never to come back again. Well, I mean, on Sunday, she comes up to me in the hallway. They come up. You're not going to believe it. He hasn't had any problem. He's totally free of it. I said, talk to me in two weeks. I just like to have a continual update. I'm not, not that I think it's going to come back, but I just like people to verify, hey, I'm walking in victory. Sure enough. I mean, so again, Sometimes that's what it takes for people to be set free. Now, there are things that come from generational sin. There are things that come from curses. You might not even know that somebody had cursed your family. Again, I'm not, and we don't have to be afraid of this, but if you see something happening, you know, I can't figure it out, and it doesn't seem natural and supernatural, then I think it's not always critical that you know the exact root cause, but if you know there's demonic activity, then in Jesus' name, rebuke it. Um, it can come as well from culturally acceptable pagan religious practices. You say, like what? Well, I mean, people, and we've talked about this before, crystals and, and the dream catchers and the things people put in their house or uh, not all holistic medicine, but I think you have to be, I think with certain things, you got to look at it. And I know I'm, I'm now 
uh, fairly infamous for my, my uh, teaching on yoga, but I would, you know, I would group that in there because, again, clearly, those stances are demonic stances to worship Hindu deities. That is not, that is not in debate. So the issue is, well, but that's not what I'm doing. Well, you know, I'm just saying, find a similar but different stance. I mean, I, that's what I would suggest. I better stop or I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to be on late night TV again. I would say as well, video games. I mean, moms and dads, you, you better, you better police that and watch that and keep that, keep that satanic, demonic junk out of your house. I mean, there's movies, TV shows. You let them in your home at your own peril. Then I think it can happen through fraternal orders. I mean, you know, the, the Masonic Lodge, and this is not popular to say, and anytime I do, I have people that come and talk to me from the Lodge, but the Lodge is evil. Just, I don't know how else to say it, and my dad was a Mason, and my grandfather was, and my great-grandfather, and then on my mom's side. But anybody who says it's not doesn't know what they're talking about or refuses to pay attention to the activity of the Lodge. The Masons, the, the Masonic God, the G, when you see that on a Masonic building, is, stands for the Grand Architect of the Universe. And the goal of a Mason is to discover who that is. And right at the early levels, they will tell you that that is a combination. The Grand Architect, one of his names is Jabulon, which is a combination of three gods, Yahweh, Baal, and On, which is the Egyptian sun god. And you're pledging allegiance to him. They're told to pursue, as they move through the chairs, the names of God and to learn more about the grand architect. Um, when you get to the 18th degree, uh, you're embracing pelican witchcraft and Kabbalah. When you get to the 30th degree, you're embracing reincarnation. When you get to the 31st degree, you're committing oaths to Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. These are Hindu gods. Shriners take an oath to Allah. That's the 32nd degree. And the 33rd degree, you find that the supreme name of God is the morning star, and his name is Lucifer. The Bible's clear Jesus is the morning star. But the lodge turns all of that on its head. So... If you've had that in your past, and you've had ancestors who have pledged oaths to deities like that, you need to rebuke that. You need to, there, and there's prayers in Randy's book to pray. And you say, well, what have you done? I, I prayed him. I believe in, I believe that, that I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything in my family to do with it. And people need to know this. 
I think another opening for demonic activity is soul ties. You say, what's that? When a person bonds their flesh to another person outside the act of marriage. When you have sexual intercourse outside of marriage, you are opening your life to demonic activity. 1 Corinthians 6.16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And what it would be good to do, and what happens is there's a uniting together that when you come apart, it's, not, it's never a clean break. You take part of that person with you, and they take part of you with them. And I know in a, in a sexually promiscuous society like we live, nobody wants to hear that. But we're a pure people. God wants us to be whole, and holiness is wholeness. Here's a prayer from Randy's book that I think is good. In the authority of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus to stand between me and name the person and separate the one flesh union. I send back to him or her everything I've taken from him or her when I became one flesh with him or her. I call back to me everything that I gave in this one flesh union. I declare the blood of Jesus to be a wall of separation between us. Thank you, Jesus, for restoring my soul. I mean, listen, if you love the Lord, why would you not want to do that? I mean, this, I mean why would you... And there are things related, even like in the, the lodge, you say, why, why would you do that? Because there's a lady who has studied all of this, and she's found that there are, there are certain things that are true of men who've been in the lodge in terms of illness that are not true of the general populace. Just, you know, you can disagree with it. One of the things is prostate cancer. So my dad... My dad had prostate cancer, and he had it horrible. So he, he goes in, he has the, the radical prostatectomy, and they say, you're good, the margins are clean, two thumbs up, until he's not, and it comes back on him, and then he has radiation, and then he has, then he has chemotherapy, and ultimately has chemical castration. I mean, it kept coming back, it kept coming back, it kept coming back. Then... When I'm diagnosed, I go in and I have this surgery, and they're like, hey, it's, it's all good, everything's good, only to find out seven months later it's not so good. It didn't seem very normal to me, it didn't seem very natural. I'll look back on it, I say, huh. And then I have that surgery, and in the subsequent recovery, within a day, I'm in the, I'm in the ER, I collapse on our patio at the place where we're staying, I'm in the ER, Dave, Debbie was showing me pictures the other day. I don't remember any of that. And the doctors told me, you almost died. They were there in the middle of the night with a heart specialist and an infectious disease doc and my urologist. And I, I woke up in the middle of the night, I packed an ice, and I, I asked him later, did I see you? He said, yeah. I said, what were you doing there in the middle of the night? He said, we thought you were going to die. That's odd. I mean, that's weird that that would happen. It's not natural. You know, I just think sometimes... And thank God for your prayers. But I'm just saying there are some things that we, that we have to break a demonic hold. Listen, I'll tell you another one. I'll tell you another one because uh, I'm just, 
I think sometimes we want to relegate the, the deliverance to, to just the realm of somebody who's severely demonized. And, and in the process, people say, well, I don't want anything to do with that. And I don't, you know, people go a lot of places with that. But the fact of the matter is, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So, you know, when I, when I had, after my stroke, I had a stroke when I was leading a tour. I was at the Vatican and had this stroke. And after that, I was never right. And, and I would, my heart would race. I had SVT and, and um, another syndrome that, that causes your blood vessels to relax and your heart races and it's crazy. And, and I'd kind of warned you one Wednesday night, hey, I might, I might be laying on the floor sometime because your heart go up to 220 beats a minute or higher and you... The only thing you can do is lay down. But I, would, I could feel it coming at times as I was preaching until one Sunday morning I'm preaching and I look at Brandon and I'm like, I gotta have you get up here because, you know, and so it's kind of an awkward handoff, but I am walking past that curtain so I can lay on the floor. So one of the people in the church, Jim Urban is, is talking to an evangelist out in North Carolina, a, a spiritual leader, a, a guy who's a preacher out in North Carolina. And he tells him about me, and the guy says this. He said, um, this is demonic. And so what needs to happen is he needs to ask people close to him in his leadership circle to pray for him. And I think I mentioned it even on a Sunday morning, one of the services to fast and pray over the next 30 days to break this spirit and he'll be well, but this is happening. This is an attack because of what God is going to do through James River and through him. Okay. So, I mean, they do that. They pray. The middle of last December, instantly, it's like somebody turns a switch in me and I've never had one thing. My heart's never raised since. I mean, it's just, so I'm, I'm telling you, I'm just telling you that, that that's what, what happened. The power of the enemy was broken in my life. What is that? That's deliverance. So you're going to encounter this as we're believing God for healing. We're going to encounter this. We're learning things, right? We're learning things. And this is a journey. And a lot of the healings have come very easily, very quickly, but some of them might come a little more, a little more, with a little more difficulty. I'll tell you something, because I want you to understand I'm learning. There's a girl who drove up here from uh, Dallas, and we're going we're to pray here. She drove up here from Dallas. She was uh, paralyzed in a car accident, 25 years old knows one of our staff. And uh, so she came to be prayed for. After the service, some of the team is praying for her, and I walk over, and, and uh, I join them in praying. And then I ask her, I say, so how are you doing? And she said, I'm, I'm doing all right. I said, do you feel anything? Yeah, I feel tingling in my legs and in my back. I said, do you normally feel that? No, I've never felt it. So well, let's pray some more. So we pray again. Ask her again, would you feel anything? Yeah, I feel tingling in my feet. 
fill it anywhere else? Yeah, I still fill up my back, still fill it in, in my legs. And so we pray again. I said, would you like to try to get up? Let's get up in the name of Jesus. She tries, really, you know, just faith-filled. Uh, nothing happens. Um, we pray some more and then um, stop. Um, so I'm talking to Randy Clark about that. I'm saying, Randy, what, what's, your, what's happening there? He said, well, you know, if things are happening in there, it's because God's healing her. You stopped too soon. I said, well, what would you have done? He said, we'd have probably stayed and prayed two or three hours and she'd have walked home. I'm learning. We're all learning. God's going to do some really wonderful things, but we, we can't stay where we are. I'm not talking about crazy. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about acknowledging some things. We're going we're gonna to stop here, but I'm going to, in the either Sunday or, or on a following Wednesday, I'm going to give you some steps to deliverance to help you with this, to how to do it. But I'd encourage you to get the book. But um, I just believe it's part of seeing people healed, part of seeing people set free. It's part of living in the world in which we live.